Hey there, my name is Janny and I'm the host of What's On Your Mind. I interview guests about their weekly musings and Wikipedia rabbit holes, like toxic beauty standards, or the impact of redlining, or bees. Whatever it is, we'll process it together. We'll all learn a little something and take another step in creating our own stories, all while adding another laugh line to your face. What's On Your Mind brings you the newest mini-sode series, STFS, stories of survival, struggle, and everything in between. JRPW Services and Be Fearless You Foundation are co-hosting this mini-sode series of What's On Your Mind to bring you a platform where we can all end the stigma around mental health and mental illness together. In fact, Corey Lynn Bailey herself is one of the hosts of this series. You can hear her story a few episodes back. It's episode one of STFS of What's On Your Mind. Conversation is powerful, and together through language and stories, we can stop the effing stigma. As a disclaimer, the stories shared on this platform may include triggering content. Please take care of yourself while listening. We will not be providing advice, therapy, or counseling. That is not the intended purpose of this space. If you are seeking professional advice or need to talk to someone immediately, please connect with a mental health professional or call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, 1-800-273-TALK. That's 800-273-8255. Do you have a story that you would like to share on STFS? We'd love to hear from you. Email stfswoym at gmail.com and we'll get back to you. Kim Barnett was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in 2003. She's had both obstacles and triumphs along the way, and she shares a glimpse of that journey with us today. Her STFS story includes her latest experience at a behavioral health facility and the stigma and discrimination she faced from patients as well as staff. Today's story contains content around racism, racial slurs, psych wards, behavioral health units, mania, manic episodes, bipolar disorder, depression, and psychosis. Hey, Kim Barnett, what's on your mind? So uh, first, I want to thank you for having me on your podcast. I grew up in a a smaller town in Ventura County. We were actually one of the only Black families that lived in the community. We moved there in the early 80s, and there were approximately 5,000 people that lived there at the time. And we were... uh, there were, I, I don't even know if we were the only Black family because I don't remember any other Black people in the community when I was a kid up until I was in middle school. So um, as a child, it was very difficult when you get asked certain questions by your friends, like, why do you look that way? Do you taste like chocolate? Certain questions that you don't know how to respond to as a child. So I always felt different in that aspect, which I kind of was. Um, And then on top of that, I had some mental health struggles as a child as well. Um, And at the time, I wasn't diagnosed as anything. I didn't have the diagnosis that I do now of bipolar disorder. I always thought that there was something just innately wrong with me. I used to, I was very awkward. And uh, when you're an African-American, you're especially like living out here where LA is so close or you know, like the cities of like, uh, like South LA or Inglewood, places where you, you know, on TV, <laughs> where you, if you're watching Jerry Springer or something like that, and there's like the, always the stereotypical, like person of any ethnicity, people automatically sometimes assume that you behave or act that way. So as a child, I never, I don't speak a certain way that you would assume I would just by looking at me. I don't write a certain way. Even on the phone, I get mistaken for 
you know, when they see me in person, they're like, oh, I didn't think you look like that. And I'm like, why not? <laughs> I finally, in my 20s, I finally started having these episodes and I didn't know what they were. As a child, I didn't sleep very much. Um, my mom always told me she thought in hindsight that I was born manic. I didn't sleep as a baby. I was the most alert baby the doctor had ever seen, according to my mom. I just, I just would not sleep. But I also was born with two fists coming out of my mom's womb. So I was always considered like a fighter. Uh, once, when I was in my early 20s, I, I went to, uh, to college. And during college, every time I would have some sort of stressful moment, um, as far as if I had finals or if I had something to study for, if I had a boyfriend who said something wrong to me or even a friend, I would get very emotional and very, I'd have stress. Stress was like a major trigger for episodes in general. So it could either cause me to become extremely depressed or extremely either hypomanic, which is not as severe as mania, or completely manic. Um, and when I'm in the manic stages, that to me is the, the worst part and the scariest part. Because uh, for me, when I'm in a manic episode, it, it it's coupled with psychosis. So I don't sleep for days. Um, and anytime, whether or not you have a mental illness or not, if you don't sleep for days, you will start to hear things and see things and your your perception is completely off. So for a time, it's fun. I'm not going to lie. Because <laughs> mania, you know, you have a lot of energy. Uh, you talk a lot. You well, you spend a lot of money, whether you have it or don't. <laughs> um, me personally, I uh, everyone is my friend. So I, you know, I talk to everyone. I'm at the grocery store and all of a sudden I'm, you know, having a long conversation with a stranger about milk. So it's just after a while, though, when you haven't slept for days, because I'll go three or four, sometimes five days with no sleep. And uh, after a while, your mind starts to not be all there anymore. And that's when it gets scary because that's when the control is gone. So I've had hypomania multiple times throughout uh, my lifetime. But as far as the mania goes, the manic episodes with the psychosis, it's been about four to five times. So there are places you can go or places that can take you inpatient to help you in when you're in that state. So um, luckily for me, even the first time I was hospitalized, uh, which was uh, in my early 20s, I knew I needed to go. I knew there was something off. The first time it happened, I was living in an apartment with my, my best friend, Josh, and I had a neighbor, this guy, Blaine, who uh, was my sort of boyfriend, I air quote there, because uh, he was not a nice person. These are, you know, these were the people I was with at the time. And I was, I was talking incessantly, would not stop. Like I was doing a show, I remember standing in front of the television and just wanting them to listen to me and just talking and talking and talking. And finally, I remember saying something's wrong with me and I need to go to the hospital. So I remember driving to the hospital with them in the back seat of a car. And all of a sudden, I was at All of You Medical Center in Silmar, California, um, being admitted to the behavioral health unit. And at the time, they called them psych wards still. Because this, this was like, you know, almost 20 years ago. And I know you guys talk about, you know, stigma. And for me, the stigma with mental illness is real, not only with other people, but within myself. 
when you say mental illness, when you say bipolar disorder, when you say schizophrenia, when you say any of those words, automatically there is a stigma attached and people view you a certain way. I've had many, you know, struggles with this disorder, but I've also had many successes too. I've worked for a long time. I worked since I was 16 years old and I worked for, you know, I worked in the motion picture industry for over, uh, over 12 years. Um, one company I was with the longest was seven years and I had a episode at that company and ended up having to leave that job. People can still function with this disorder. Um, it's not, something that you probably will be able to manage all the time. Um, and it's not something I'm able to manage all the time and be well 100% of the time, but it is something you can function with and, and live a good life. The, the main thing with stigma, though, that, that really bothers me <laughs> is that you're not necessarily viewed as human, when, especially when you're in an episode. And I say that only because, I, uh, because I've been in mental health facilities multiple times in the past 17 years since I was diagnosed. I have, I've experienced with, from people in general, from my own family, from my husband, from myself, but also from mental health care professionals as well. And that really pains me to say that, but the stigma is so strong, it's even there with the healthcare professionals that are supposed to be taking care of you. Uh, because of, you know, the pandemic's going on and there's a lot of racial injustice stuff going on, the whole election, um, you know, there's a multitude of things that are very stressful right now. And I started having problems sleeping. So I, I kept in touch with my doctor. I see a psychiatrist uh, once a month. I kept in touch with him. I see a therapist once a week, virtually right now because of COVID. And uh, he adjusted my medications and nothing was working. I just could not sleep. So after about a month and a half of intermittent sleep, and then when I say intermittent, I mean, I would sometimes I wouldn't sleep at all. Sometimes I would sleep maybe two to three hours a night, sometimes at the max five. And after a month and a half, that's like super draining. And you're, uh, my mind was there. I was still functioning, but I was super... I was hypomanic, so I had like so many tasks going on, all this. Um, I was talking my husband's ear off. I'm that poor man. I think he he's developed a like uh, <laughs> a way to tune me out, I think. Um, uh, but, you know, I get so talkative. I can talk until my voice goes away and still attempt to talk. And it's happened before. So it's it's like it's very apparent that there's something wrong, you know. So I, I went to the hospital, I went to a behavioral health unit in Valencia, trying to seek help just, just to help me sleep. I just wanted to sleep. And I, I have gone in the past, you know, and uh, needed sleep before. So I knew they could help me sleep. But in the past, I wasn't fully aware of what was going on. So when I went this time, it was completely different. Because my mind was my mind was right, but my sleep was off. So I got there, and a few things happened. I had an allergic reaction to a medication, and that was the first issue. And I was not believed that there was something wrong with my throat. My throat swelled up. Um, they gave me water and a throat lozenge. And uh, I've had this reaction before. It's called angioedema, which requires an EpiPen or a steroid to like get rid of the problem. And they refused to, to help me. They didn't believe me. 
because, you know, people make up things in there and it happens all the time and I'm guilty of it too. I've done it before. So I, I get it. But at the same time, when there's a valid claim or a valid issue, it needs to be addressed and it needs to at least be looked into before they just like discount your problem. So um, after a few hours, my, my psychiatrist came. Uh, it's the same psychiatrist I see outside of the hospital, which is why I chose to go to that hospital. He ordered it for me and uh, had the nurses administer the steroid injection. Um, but he's the only one that looked at my throat, the only one that asked to look at my throat. And it's only because he knew me already. So I could have left at that point, but I was still trying to get help to sleep. I hadn't slept, you know, so... I went back to my room. At the time, I was all by myself in a room, and they had given me a roommate that had just arrived that day, and it was my second day there. She was a white woman, and I don't have any... Most of my friends are white. My husband's white. I love all people. Like, people are people regardless of race, gender, sex, whatever. I don't... It doesn't... It's not me. It's just not in me. But she had some hate in her heart, apparently, and um, the, the hospital was full, so um, as far as the behavioral health unit is concerned. So she made a comment, a racial slur, um, directed at one of the staff members. She was drinking some prune juice, and she thought I stole her prune juice. I told her I didn't take it, and that it was probably, you know, I think one of the staff members, or yeah, maybe poured it out, because I saw a ring around the the sink of the prune juice. So I knew it was poured out, but I didn't know by who and I wasn't going to guess. So I said, someone, someone probably came in here and just poured it out. since the cup is in the trash. And she said, I know who it was. It was that N word, B word. I don't like using that word. Um, and immediately I, I was in shock. Like it just came out of her mouth. Like it was nothing. Um, so I, I said, excuse me. And she said, and she said it again. She said that N-word, B-word. I said, can you not use that type of language around me? She said, okay, I won't call her that. I'll call her a hood rat. And I said, excuse me? I was like, what is going on here? I don't understand. I'm like, I feel like this is like not happening. And she's like, well, what do you want me to say? She's ghetto? And like, it was just one word after another out of this woman's mouth. And she was, she was not in a, her right state of mind. She was, she was manic at the time. But at the same time, mania does not create hate and it doesn't create prejudice and it doesn't create racism. It doesn't make that happen. That was her. So I was, I was angry, uh, extremely upset, hurt, and, and mostly just wanted to be out of that room. And I was, I refused to leave because I was there to get help. I felt like I didn't need to leave. So I told the staff members what happened and they, I asked them if they can move her to a different room um, or move me, but preferably her. Cause I was there first. I don't want to be moved. I had like the nicest hospital bed cause I have really good insurance. So they put me in the nicest room. But so I was like, there's no way this racist woman is going to push me out of my room. So I was like, you know, I was like, I'll move, but preferably her first. Cause I'm not the one using that kind of language. And, uh, so they refused to move either of us. They said the hospital was full. And I said, well, why can't you swap me out with someone else? Um, or swap her out with someone else and put someone else in that room. It just doesn't make sense. And I, it was ignored. It was completely ignored, like nothing happened. They said, we're sorry. The woman that she referred to her, to, to her as the N-word, B-word, 
She said for me to be strong. She said, we're black women. We're strong. You can just get over it basically. And she's the one that was called it. So, you know, for, for her to say that, like, it's fine for her, but it's not fine for me. I don't, I, I don't stand for that kind of stuff. And I, I feel like my foot should have been put down and so should have hers, but it's not up to me how she takes it. But, um, that was the second thing. And then there was another, one of the staff members walked away as a man tried to attack me and he was a patient as well. It was just like all these things within a, like a short amount of time. And I was there to get help. And I felt like I couldn't get the simplest thing. I couldn't get peace and sleep in a place where they're supposed to be helping me. Um, I asked my uh, psychiatrist if he could discharge me and they discharged me the same day. I was done. I just couldn't do anymore. And I, you know, I went there for peace and I couldn't get it. And I went, I went there for help, you know, and the reason I say that things need to change is because of what happened to me. I ended up writing them a letter and, um, you know, a formal complaint. And mostly it was about the angioedema and the, the first, uh, the first two items, you know, the angioedema that was ignored because you can die from angioedema. I don't know if you know that. It's a bad allergic reaction. Your uvula gets huge. So you can like die in your sleep. So it's a big deal. I just don't want anything to happen like this to someone else. People should be able to go somewhere like a behavioral health unit and get the help they need and be believed when there is something wrong, regardless of their mental state. Because there needs to be some sort of like vetting process or a protocol to see if something is actually true. You don't just discount it because someone has a mental illness. And it made me feel like less of a human being. And that is my whole problem with it is stigma makes you feel like less of a human being. And no one should have to feel that way. It's it's a horrible feeling. I, I worked for a long time. I told you that stuff. I ended up finally deciding to go on permanent disability um, I worked, I was an executive assistant for a long time for a vice president at uh, one company. And then um, another company I worked for a director, I was her assistant as well. So I, you know, I've done things that you're not supposed to always be able to do with a mental illness. And I did it for a long time and it caused a lot of stress, uh, a lot of episodes. And finally I said, enough is enough. I wanted to kind of not stop working completely because I still feel like I have purpose and I have, you know, passion for things and I have a mind that I should be able to use. So I started uh, writing. I love to write. I love to read. So um, I started writing my own blog. It's called uh, mybipolarvoice.com. I would love for people to check it out. Um, it's just, it's about my struggles, but also my triumphs with the disorder because I have many of those too. And I, I started writing it honestly for myself because I, I have been through a lot of trauma, not only that story that I just told you, but a lot of trauma in general with this disorder. So I, I wanted to start healing on my own. Obviously, I do therapy, like I mentioned. I find writing to be very peaceful and it brings out stuff that, I'm not, that I wouldn't always think that I was going to be writing about. After I'm done, I always feel better. Even if I don't publish what I write, it's just, it's always something that I need to get out of me. Uh, when it comes to personal stuff and uh, talking about stuff, you know, um, things that I've been through, obstacles that I've struggled through, I don't always 
talk about stuff that's real. I talk about stuff that's like on the surface that makes people feel good or makes people laugh, but I don't always talk about the stuff that, that hurts or that's hard. I don't know. I think all of this happened for a reason. When I went on disability, I was very uh, depressed about it. I thought my life was over, honestly, and that there was, that it was the end of my career and I was going to be just by myself in the house all day long until my husband came home with a bunch of dogs. (laughs) And uh, what this has taught me is that just because one door closes doesn't mean another one can't open. And maybe that door was meant to open all along. Yeah, Yeah. man. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. And um, a lot of times, uh, even when you talk about it after you leave, you're not believed. Yeah. Um, And that for me is the hardest part is people not believing uh, the things that I'm telling them that they're true. The trauma that I talked about before, a lot of it has to do with the treatment that I got in those mental health facilities. Yeah. Um, My mom, they brought me like food and stuff. The staff ate my food um, at the facility. Yeah. um, I was, um, you know, it's just things like that. Like it sounds so small and so trivial. It happened another time. They brought, my mom brought me food again at a different place. And um, this one, it was on, um, it was on a holiday on Easter Sunday. So she brought me like ham and potato salad and a piece of like, uh, you know, the, what's that? Monkey bread, the really good bread. (laughs) bread. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So she brought me all this stuff. All that was left was a tiny slice of ham. The staff ate the rest of the food. So I was like, you said they're, you know, they're, they may seem small, but the auctions are basically saying, oh, she doesn't deserve this. She doesn't need it. And and not even that. that If if you, if you say anything, um, if you get mad, if you get upset because you're in there for a mood disorder to, they'll do something to you. And I know this because it's happened to me before. If I get, if you get too upset or speak your mind or are too vocal, they'll either give you medication or sometimes they'll even strap you down to a bed and, and, and leave you there. And it's happened to me before. And it's uh, not everyone. And there aren't all, there aren't all, you know, they aren't all bad and they aren't all out to get you or anything like that. The majority of them are good people and are there to do good. But there's just like with any profession, there's always bad apples and those bad apples need to be weeded out or trained properly because it's just, it, it causes trauma to people that are already traumatized. Yeah. So. Yeah. Thanks again for, and I'm, I'm glad that we connected and I'm, I'm sorry for everything that's happened to you. It's, it's not right. And anybody who takes away someone's need to feel like a human being, um, really needs to be checked, like you said, and. You know, it's just like how we, you know, I've gone to, you know, doctor's offices for my physical health and I've had great doctors and I've had horrible doctors and, you know, the same goes with mental health too. That's, it's just, it's just another doctor. It's just for your mind instead of your body. And, um, to have that stigma then attached within that professional field, that's, that's no good. Yeah. Yeah. Man, thank you so much for sharing. Okay. Okay, All right. Thanks guys. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Subscribe wherever podcasts are found. And of course, rate, review, and share with a friend. If you want to learn more about me, you can check out my website, jannyrad.com. That's J-A-N-I-R-A-D.com. Check out my Instagram at jannyrad.me. 
The Fearless Youth Foundation is a memory of Kimberly Neal, who is Corey Lynn Bailey's sister and lost her life to suicide. Visit their website, BeFearlessU.org. Love the podcast music? That's BK Williams. You can follow him on Instagram, Brian K underscore Williams 28. Thanks for listening.